Welcome to the Davenport Pulse, a podcast aimed at connecting citizens to their local government. Together, we will explore important issues impacting our neighborhoods and community through conversations with residents, city staff, and elected officials. Davenport is the urban pulse at the heart of the Quad Cities, rich in history and character, where folks with a Midwest mentality plant personal and professional roots. Come explore with us the people, places, and programs that make Davenport home. Welcome back to the Davenport Pulse. We're excited to have you and our special guest, Lieutenant Zach Solis from the Davenport Fire Department. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm doing fine. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. Welcome. Thanks Absolutely. for coming. <laughs> so let's just start and introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay. Um, like you said, my name is Zach Solis. I'm with the Davenport Fire Department. I'm one of our Lieutenant Fire Marshals for the DFD. I've been working for Davenport Fire for about 17 years and I'm currently in our Fire Prevention Bureau. That's awesome. Um, okay, Zach, so on average, how many calls would you say you get per year in Davenport? Okay, uh, Davenport Fire responds to numerous calls for service. Uh, last year, we averaged around 17,911 calls. So those wow. calls aren't just for um, fire-related. We do investigations, car accidents, um, all types of different things that might come up where people don't know what to do. The dial 911 and we're, we're there to help. Um, if you break that down a little bit, that averages about 45 calls a day um, that our department will handle uh, across the city. And you have three different shifts, correct? That is correct. We have a three shift system that works 24 hours on and then 48 hours off. Okay. All those shifts, A, B, and C. And on each shift, we have about 40 to 45 different members assigned to each shift that work out of seven different fire stations in Davenport. Nice. So why do we have seven stations? Um, our, our region, our area of Davenport is so large that we want to strategically be able to respond to these various calls for service. Um, so throughout time, they've, they've picked these different locations. Um, where, where our members could respond from. Um, there's eight different fire engines throughout the city that we respond on or three different fire trucks. And it depends on if we're going to a medical call or, or an investigation where maybe one company would go to that compared to like a structure fire where we'd have uh, three engine companies, two truck companies, and a district chief to respond to that incident. So you are saying there's a truck and an engine. Oh, I learned about this. Okay. Yeah, and so for our for our listeners, there is a big difference. Uh, the biggest one being um, how the truck looks. Uh, the fire truck itself has a, a ladder on top of the apparatus and a large bucket in the back. The fire engines are a little more compact, and uh, basically the, the members assigned to those different apparatus um, have di different training. Uh, we can cross-train. We can all move from a fire engine to a fire truck, but sometimes the tasks at the fire scene might uh, differ if you're on an engine company compared to a truck company. Nice. Is it really hard to drive one of the trucks over the engines? Uh, you know what? There's a lot more uh, length there on the truck. It is a little different. Um, they're, they're very large uh, you know, pieces of apparatus there, mm -hmm. so it's you just don't jump in and, and take off. And <laughs> a little the, bit of training required. Right. Is the engine the one that holds water? Um, so all of our apparatus, the fire engines, fire truck, they have some volume of water on there. Okay. The fire engines would hold a little bit more. Okay. And then their assignment would be a little different 
um, responding to, let's say, a structure fire again. Uh, that first engine company could go in and use the water that's on the fire engine to help um, stop that fire. And then maybe the second fire engine would be assigned to a fire hydrant where they would then take that water from the fire hydrant, um, supply it to that first engine company, and that's how we have continuous water. Okay. Now, our truck companies do have water on them also, but their primary assignment might be something totally different, but we still want to make them available for uh, extinguishment, maybe like a what we call a surround and drown, where they use the the ladder to, to spray down there on, on uh, volumes of fire with the water. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, okay, so let's see. Next up, what is the leading cause of home fires? Okay, um, the leading cause for home fires is cooking. So what? <laughs> so yes, um, if you can. So imagine. anytime Zach's in the kitchen, his smoke alarm is going off. We'll get into smoke <laughs> alarms, but yes. So uh, wait, is it actually a cooking? Is it real fires or is it? Alarming a smoke alarm. No, if we're talking about specific fires and how they are response to them, um, our number one reason for a fire growth would be due to cooking. That's oh, crazy. Yeah. Wow. So that's 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 how we operate. And you guys bring up a very important aspect then of, of having those smoke alarms. So when I am cooking, <laughs> before that fire does take off, that there's some type of you know notification in, in place there. Okay, so you're able to tell that the leading cause of fires is cooking. Are you able to tell if a fire is intentional or accidental? And how are you able to do that? Yeah, so for every response we go to related to a structure fire or fire incident, um, we have to give uh, a cause and origin. Um, we have to document how this fire started um, and give all the details we can uh, for statistics and everything else. So basically what happens is, there are a number of fire cause specialists and fire investigators that work for Davenport Fire. And basically, when we have a fire we're investigating, there's going to be four, classification, four, four classifications of fire. Uh, the first one could be undetermined. I mean, the, maybe the fire is so bad, so significant, it's hard to tell what actually caused it. Nobody witnessed it. Something happened. We just can't determine what happened there. Another cause for fire is natural. So if you can imagine like a lightning strike starting a field fire because of dry conditions, we could classify it that way. Um, accidental is another classification we have for fires. So just think about cooking, um, maybe holiday decorations, candles, uh, pets climbing up on the stove to try to get maybe the pizza box that's sitting up there <laughs> would be another classification. And then finally, incendiary. Um, those are fires that are intentionally set. Um, so using you know a systematic approach, uh, interviewing personnel on the scene, um, gathering, you know, the knowledge that we have from all of our training, we can come to these conclusions and then um, classify the fires accordingly. So you brought up training. What has been one of your favorite trainings that you've been part of? Okay. I like, I enjoy the, the live fire training that we have with um, the end of our fire academies. So when we have the probationary firefighters come in and they have an eight-week academy they go through um, at, at Station 3 and throughout the department, um, they get trained on everything. Um, they could be driving on a course downtown. They could be at the, the training tower. But uh, the last event they have is an actual live fire training. Um, we get a number of crews at that location. We do a bunch of set fires, and we're constantly rotating the guys and gals through live scenarios. 
Um, so for us, it kind of, you know, sharpens everything up. You're, you're in there with the heat. You're in there with our new um, recruits, uh, future, you know, firefighters for the city of Davenport. And it's, it's really, uh, it's great training. It's uh, eye-opening for them. And then we get to know, like, you know, where we're at, the, the, the levels of confidence and stuff like that for, for all of us. And uh, it works out great. So this last training opportunity we had, uh, a local church donated uh, a house they were going to tear down. And we used a number of different aspects at that location for search and rescue, um, different scenarios. And that last day, there was a group of us that went out there and just kept setting fires until they eventually burned the house down. So that was uh, very nice. And uh, uh, it's very memorable for the, the recruits to go through that type of atmosphere before they're assigned a shift. Yeah, Allie and I actually got to go out to that um, last training. It was really hot. Very mm-hmm. hot outside. I did outside, not expect that. Very hot inside. Oh, so yeah. So that's one of those things that you got to get accustomed to also. It's like just because you put out the fire on your shift, mm-hmm. you're not done till your shift ends. So uh, later on, another fire could come in and you got to put on the, the hot gear or the super cold frozen gear. Mm-hmm. And you're going back out there for, for calls of service until your shift's over. Um, so, yeah, it... it very warm day, especially in the summer when they, when they do those training scenarios. When you jump on a rig, um, do you have to have full head to toe gear on? Um, our, our number one initiative when the alarms go off is to get out of the station within a minute. Um, two of our fire stations have fire poles. They slide the poles. Um, you, you get to the rig as, as safely and as quickly as possible. Um, but we want to get to that location. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll put on um, our, our pants, the speeders, Our jackets will jump on the rig, and then the air packs are already in there ready to go. Um, So then sometimes it's case by case. You you don't need to be full mask and everything ready to go if you're going to work on a hydrant. So you just want to get there as quick as possible. Um, I think they've done some studies where a three-minute response is is a typical from all over the city uh, for us to get to a location. So, yeah, we'll we'll put our turnout gear on, uh, get in the rig, get to that location as quick as possible, and then – Assess the situation, see what what all equipment you'll need, and then you're off and running. So you're saying on average you're there within three minutes to yeah. to a call? That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, so that I can't determine the exact number that is that is out there and you gotta understand like the region of Davenport is very large and some of the locations are, you know, out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but on average, uh, we have a three minute response that we can get there and we're always striving to get there as quick as possible. Um, we're working constantly against a clock and that clock sometimes involves a structure fire that uh, every 30 seconds to a minute, a fire doubles in size. So early notif- notification is important to us and then getting mm-hmm. there as quick as possible to mitigate a situation is extremely important to us. Hmm. You said that, so a lot of accidental fires would be caused by like from cooking or you said maybe candles. I love candles. I always have candles burning in my house. What's the rule at your house? Do you allow candles lit or are you totally against candles in the house? We, we kind of have turned a little bit there. So like who doesn't like the look of candles and fireplaces and such? Um, but they cause fires. Yeah. Accidents can happen. Um, one thing you want to think about is the, the surface they put the candles on, making sure it's a good flat surface, uh, considering the surroundings of it. I mean, is there a bunch of decorations? Um, does it make it something of curiosity, maybe for a pet, mm-hmm. a cat uh, to jump up on and mess with or something like that? Or could it be bumped in a location? Um, so there's other options. You can go the, the candle list, or I guess the flame 
flameless the flameless candles the candle warmers like, yeah, yeah. yeah. The ones that you know you put the switch on or they got the timers and all mm-hmm. that stuff and you're not gonna you know have those accidental fires with with something like that yeah my uh, husband doesn't let me light a candle if i plan to leave the room i have to stay <laughs> in the room with the candle and so. that is that is great <laughs> on your on your husband's part you you always anytime there is a fire um open flame you, you want to occupy those spaces be aware of it um it's like a fireplace don't don't ever go to bed with the fire fire running fire um, going. Don't leave the room and say, "Hey, I'll come back to it later." Accidents again will yeah. happen, and that's classification of fire, and that's how they do start. Yeah. Um. So I mean, winter's coming. You're talking about fireplaces, candles. I like to burn candles more in the fall and winter than summer. What do you want our listeners to be aware of as winter's coming for fire prevention? Okay. So for winter fire prevention, um, think about your furnaces. Uh, A simple way to maintain a good, efficient furnace is cleaning out those filters. Um, So looking at the the, the makeup of it and the suggestions of um, the system itself, you might want to do that monthly or every few months, um, making sure that filter's changed out to make sure everything runs efficiently. Um, for fireplaces, make sure that they've been inspected and maybe get the chimney um, swept or inspected. Don't just make that assumption that everything worked fine a year ago. It'll work fine again now. Um, make, there's companies out there, businesses out there that they can provide that service, and you want to make sure that everything's working the way it should. Um, we go to a number of fires uh, as the temperatures get cooler, and it sometimes happens where this is the first time we use the fireplaces here. I thought everything was good. So just to be uh, preventative, just go ahead and, and, and look into getting those um, chimneys inspected. And then finally, um, space heaters. A lot of people use space heaters. And I do. One of the things you want to consider with that is making sure that you're plugging them directly into the outlet. Uh, in the fire department, we are not fans of extension cords. Extension cords aren't rated. They're for temporary use. Um, so just getting that little bit of reach out of them, we don't want you to do that. Use the proper outlet, use the proper heater, plug them in, and then giving yourself a good three-foot radius around the heater <clears throat> in front of the fireplace, um, whatever you're using, because it is a heating source. And again, those accidents can happen with those. What about Christmas lights? I was just going to ask that. <laughs> you guys are on the same page. Uh-huh. Um, Christmas lights. So anymore, if you read the packages, they'll talk about using just a three-light system together for, for one outlet. Um, you don't want to ever just try to, you know, do the National uh, Lampoon's Christmas <laughs> vacation and just start plugging in with everything and using um, splitters for the outlets and plugging in as, as much as you can. Just just read what it says on there for the rec- recommended use, um, making sure that you're very aware of where you're plugging the outlet in. Um, is it something where, again, an animal could mess with something, a pet could mess with something? And, uh, you know, just, just do your job of just um, assessing those situations and I think the, the common rule is, you know, three strips um, for, for the one outlet. Okay, the so that way. don't leave your Christmas tree on all night, even though it looks really pretty in the big bay window? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that. If you're using things appropriately, you could have that look. Um, but there are considerations when you have a live Christmas tree mm-hmm. compared to a fake one. Mm-hmm. Um, with the, li- the fake ones anymore, you can almost have the entire Christmas tree lit up. Um, that's not a hazard. Uh, when it comes to a live Christmas tree, you're bringing another, you know, combustible into the home. So you want to make sure that's watered at all times and then just making sure that location, uh, maybe it's away from a vent, mm-hmm. something like that that's going to dry it out a lot quicker. 
Um, if that accident does happen, you don't want another, you know, dry tree in your house, house to add to a fuel load for fire there. So just something to think about. Always keep that thing watered. Okay. So you told us a little bit about your shifts. There's three shifts. You work 24 hours per shift and then you get 48 hours off, correct? Yep. That's right. So, I mean, when you're not on call or out on a call, but you're still within those 24 hours, what do you do? What's, what's a day like in the life of a firefighter? Kind of explain that to us. Yeah, this is always interesting. Um, so like the day in life of the fire department, let's say today is C shift. Okay. Um, they arrived uh, before 645 in the morning. They talked to the previous shift, which is a shift. I'm sorry, B shift and said, Hey, what'd you guys do? What was training? What was the calls for service? Um, you know, what was used off of our rig? Um, after that, 6.45, they start uh, putting their equipment on the rig. They clean the station, and then you're in what's called ready time. You're ready to respond to calls. Uh, typically, from 9 o'clock to 4.30, uh, we're doing something in the community. So one thing we always do is training. Uh, that's the best way that our firefighters stay sharp is constantly training. So we can do it with hands-on, like going to a uh, training site or going to a location for like specific extrication training, or we can do it online. Um, there's different things we can log into t- called like target solution or vector solutions, where we can get some online training, take tests that way. Um, the other things we do are inspections. There's over like 4,000 different businesses in Davenport and your fire department. Um, we're going to go to each one of those once a year to make sure those businesses are um, safe for the employees that work there. And then in a non-emergent setting, we're going to inspect those places for us to see like, hey, where are these utilities at? Uh, where, where would I find the closest hydrant in case there is a hazard here? So from 9 to 4.30, we're either training or doing inspections. And then after that, we're in ready time again. Uh, we can't leave the firehouse. So you're, you're stuck there. But we have, you know, bedrooms and kitchens and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of the guys and gals, they eat together, they cook together. And then in your downtime, we have a lounge. You can, at every one of our fire stations, you can watch, you know, support your Chicago Bears or whatever <laughs> you choose to do. Um, but you have to stay there. And then it's no different than overnight. A uh, call comes in, you respond to your call and you come back. 6.45 the next morning, you talk to the next shift, which would be in this case, A shift. And then you're off for two days. So it's uh, it's uh, 24 hours of, you know, being at a fire station, responding to calls for service, uh, training or going out and doing inspections. So earlier you had mentioned about smoke alarms and how important they are in homes. Um, within my past two years with the city, I've learned a lot about the smoke alarm program, but I don't think all of our citizens know the benefit that they can receive from this. Can you help them? Yeah, since um, 2012, we started a smoke alarm program here in Davenport. Um, it's an installation program. It is not just that we're distributing progr- um, smoke alarms and handing them out to the community. Um, our program is set up where it is a free smoke alarm. Our partnership is with the Red Cross. And what we'll do is members of the fire department will actually come to your home if you don't have one. Or if your smoke alarms are 10 years old or older, they need to re- be replaced. So what we'll do is... Um, We'll come to the home, we'll, we'll assess where the smoke alarms were at or where they need to be, and we'll put them in for you. So it, it costs no funds from uh, the homeowner itself. And um, the partnership with the Red Cross has been going on for, for a long time now. Uh, all of our area fire departments uh, provide some type of program like this. But yeah, we started ours back in 2012, and um, it's been a very successful program. Uh, 
early notification is huge for the fire department. The sooner we know that there's um, an issue, the sooner we can get there to mitigate that situation. And we want all the homeowners and uh, people living in our community to be able to be alerted in case there is a fire, in case there is smoke, to get out, call us, and we'll take care of that. That's great. I didn't realize that I could have a free smoke alarm installed. Well, on top of that, and a lot of people don't understand that um, after 10 years, those smoke alarms should be replaced. They're not just working when I'm cooking, mm-hmm. you know, like we talked about <laughs> earlier. Uh, they're constantly searching for product uh, particles of combustion. They're constantly monitoring for smoke. Um, so just so they do go off and activate, that isn't the only time they're working. I've been to a number of homes where once we went to take down the smoke alarm, we noticed there's no batteries in it. Oh, wow. So somebody's taking that battery for whatever reason, thought they'd replace it, and they had that false sense of security that they thought they had a smoke alarm that works, and, and in this case, it doesn't. So we always test it. Um, we encourage our um, the people we serve to, to test those monthly and then on the back of the smoke alarm, we'll have a date on it. And after 10 years, you want to replace replace them. So that's just uh, that extra information we want to throw out there. And then also daylight savings ends up being a perfect time to replace those batteries. So if you have a smoke alarm at home and you're like, when should I change these batteries? Um, daylight savings is when you change the clocks, you change your batteries. And don't just change one, change them all throughout the house. And then make sure you're testing those to make sure the smoke alarm work properly. Awesome. Okay. Switching gears. I want to know what inspired you to become a firefighter in the first place. Oh yeah. It's just, uh, I think most of us uh, in the fire service and, um, you know, in safety, they just want to help people. You want to help people and, uh, you know, serve your community. Mm -hmm. So that's, that had a lot to do with my decision to, to become a firefighter. Any family members that you're, you know, following in their footsteps? Do you have anybody else in your family that was a firefighter? Um, you know, not specifically that I looked to, to for the career path. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had a lot of friends that were in the fire service. Um, matter of fact, prior to me doing this, I was an electrician and they were like, hey, they could use a good uh, electrician on the fire department there to help out with uh, investigations. Um, and uh, so it kind of, you know, it Raised some interest, you know, made me think about wanting to do that. And then um, definitely after 9-11 happened, it uh, really kind of, you know, put that fire in me to be like, hey, I want to serve my community. I want to help out. And I made a great decision back then. That's awesome. So you've stuck with the fire department for how many years now? Yep. Um, About 17 and a half right now I've been doing this. Okay. So Uh, I'm sure that you have some stories. (laughs) What is one that just sticks in your mind when someone asks you, why are you a firefighter? We've got all kinds of stories at the firehouse. And and typically this happens quite a bit when we're at different functions and people want to know like, hey, what's going on at the firehouse? But one that speaks true to like our members and what we do is uh, there was a car accident. Um, Some kids were involved. There were going to be some medical expenses because of what happened. And it was right around the holidays. Um, So one of our members who has a, a couple kids himself Took it upon himself to reach out to uh, our members and say, hey, we should help out. How can we help out? And uh, they started raising money. Um, a group got together and went shopping, uh, packaged up a bunch of presents before the holidays, and they sent it over there. So it's just, it really speaks to that service and then like going above and beyond. Mm-hmm. And that just, you know, it makes it feel great about the, the guys and gals you work with. Um, 
a lot of funny stories, maybe, maybe some pranks here or there, but maybe it's not for uh, <laughs> this podcast, but yeah, uh, being a firefighter, especially here in Davenport, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Work with a lot of great people that are serving the community. Well, Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we Love really appreciate it. You. Yeah, it was fun. Well, thanks so much for the invite. Um, hopefully this uh, all goes well for you guys. And hopefully we get our message out there about how important it is, uh, you know, have those smoke alarms in your home, um, get them tested. And if you ever need anything from your Davenport Fire, Depart- Fire Department, just call uh, 911. We'll, we'll help you out. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. Bye.